Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hello and welcome to the UK Film Review Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Olsen, and joining me tonight on our special rom-com episode will be Brian Penn. That's where you say hello, Brian. Sorry, I should have said. (laughs) Sorry, it cuts out for a second there. Hi. No worries. Uh, Chris Buick. Hi. And we've got Andrew Young. Hello. I remembered your name this time, Andrew, your last name, because <laughs> last time I forgot, and I was like, do you know what, that's the one thing I'm not going to do on this episode. I'll forget everything else. I will get everything else wrong, but I will not forget your surname. Um, so tonight's episode is a special one. Andrew, you very kindly sorted out a huge podcast schedule for us this year, and um, this was going to be because it's the anniversary of Bridget Jones, Bridget Jones's diary back in 2001. So 20 years. Um, So the episode is going to be largely about the Bridget Jones's films, um, all three of them. And we're also going to touch upon other rom-coms and we're going to look at a few sort of classic ones. We're going to look at some newer ones and, you know, also just generally have a little chat around all of the things that are romantically funny. And I've also put together a little quiz for the end, little, little, little few questions for you guys. So uh, I hope you've been paying attention. Um, it's not serious, but obviously one of you will be fired from the site if you don't. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. I can't do that. Um, so 
you know, before we sort of kick off, um, how let's start with Andrew. Andrew, how are you with the Bridget Jones's films in general? In general, good. Yeah, we'll get into more detail. I tend to go kind of positive, negative, positive in the order of the films. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I like the as rom coms go. I'm a big rom com fan. They're not really actually in my despite what we're doing today. They're not really in my kind of top tier. I wouldn't say, but you know, I enjoy them much like most rom coms, and they're definitely better than better than some. So, okay, yeah, um, Chris. Yeah, I'm the same. I think when it comes to Bridget Jones, I'm positive, slightly less positive, and very positive, I think, in that order. Um, but rom-coms for me, kind of a genre I've grown to appreciate more in recent years. I'm a bit of a sucker for a love story, I'll admit. Oh, bless. <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, rom-coms, again, maybe not in my, you know, first choice of genre when it comes to films, but definitely growing on me over the last few years, for sure. I think it's as you get older, Chris, you're just going to be a sap. I'm becoming um, so soft. <laughs> and, and Brian? Yeah, I'm a big fan of rom-coms. Always have been and always will be. I think the term rom-com almost diminishes the genre in some ways because it implies that it's light, frothy, insubstantial, but the best rom-coms will tell you something valid about life, relationships, affairs of the heart, something we all understand. It's the human condition. Um, so the good rom-coms are all about truth, which can be very funny at times. As for Bridget Jones, generally I'm a, I am a fan. I think the characters are brilliantly constructed, but I think first cuts are the deepest really for Bridget Jones, which I'm sure we'll come on to. But I feel that Bridget Jones won, the first Bridget Jones films, film was the best. But as I say, I'm sure we'll, we'll discuss that in more detail. Okay, cool. So, yeah, let's crack on with number one then. Um, so Bridget Jones is Diary, um, based on the novel by Helen Fielding. Um, and directed by Sharon Maguire, you know, you've got um, a lot of calibre in, uh, in the cast here. You've got Renee Zellweger, obviously, um, playing the lead. Then you've got Colin Firth, Hugh Grant, and an array of acting talent a lot of british acting talent um and the the storyline for anyone that hasn't seen bridget jones's diary which is kind of unheard of really it's so sort of ingrained in our popular culture um is the idea that she is looking to improve herself um and she keeps a personal diary about all the things that she's trying to sort of achieve i.e like weight loss and cutting down her alcohol but also generally trying to find love i think that's the sort of um, main sentiment of the film and I found it to be probably it's I don't think it's aged that well when I went back to it I I found it a little bit dated and there's some bits in there that obviously you know some of the guys did a podcast recently on promising young woman and you know the sort of tone of that film compared to something like this obviously promising young woman is not a rom-com although it does have elements of both of those it's the idea of how much society and culture has come on. And Bridget Jones's diary feels like a bit of a time capsule and uh, something that is of its sort of uh, early noughties feel about it. Um, Chris, let's start with you on, on Bridget Jones's diary. How are you with this one then? Yeah, um, 
I, I, I am a fan. I do, I do like it as a film, and but I do think you're right. I think it's definitely a film of its time. I didn't necessarily watch the film when it first came out because at that point I was just a thirteen year old, and a film like Bridget Jones wasn't exactly on my radar of films to watch. But I think maybe a few years later I picked it up and I really, really enjoyed it. Um, interestingly. And again, touching on the on the kind of promising on women kind of storyline kind of films we're getting these days, Bridget Jones doesn't necessarily seem like a film that would represent or be made today. I think Bridget's someone who finds a lot of value in finding a man and not mm. being overweight and quitting and basically making herself as appealing to others as possible. Um, but she is still absolutely... Um, or has become a hero and a role model to women everywhere ever since she came on the scene. And I think it's a testament to that film and what it achieved and the and primarily like Zellweger's performance is one of the key factors in that. And I think Bridget Jones has become an icon that we can still look back on fondly, even with its flaws. Mm, yeah, I I also want to point out the fact that we are four chaps on tonight's episode talking yeah. about Bridget Jones. I am, I know we're in sort of you know, maybe uh, heated waters here, but I did ask you all beforehand, and you all said you wanted to watch, uh, wanted to do rom coms, and you are all generally sort of okay fans. So I feel like we're going to be okay. Um, Brian, Bridget Jones's Diary. How about you? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a film that I've always enjoyed watching. I think you are right when you say that it is pretty much of its time. I found it difficult to believe it's already 20 years old. Mm. Time passes by so quickly, but time does move on. And I think in, in light of current events, um, Promising Young Woman is a, good, is a good sort of comparison, a good yardstick, that things have changed, times have changed. But I think when you watch Bridget Jones' Diary now, Whereas it was filmed as a contemporary piece, it's now a period piece. It, it represents that early, early noughties era. Having said all of that, I think um, it's a very well-made film and it's, it ticks all the usual boxes. It, there's a great script, but the characters are very well drawn, I think. You know, Bridget, for example, we've all met somebody like Bridget, you know, a nice girl, basically a nice girl who wants her relationships to work but she overthinks she overanalyzes and there you have a trail of emotional wreckage behind her and in front of her as well as it turns out but i I think the characters are very likable and one of the secrets of good rom-com writing is to create characters that you recognize yourself and as i was saying that i think we've all met somebody like bridget at some point in our lives you know and that's where i think it still hits the mark even now um, back to my original point about basic truths, you know, that it does seem old fashioned now, but it still works. So whereas, you know, you would would have watched Bridget Jones diary in 2001 with a certain mindset, but you, you watch you watch it in a different way, but you still find something important in it because it's telling a very honest story about the way we live our lives or the way we used to live our lives. Yeah, she's definitely a, a character that everyone identifies with, um, or, or has elements to uh, her personality that we we look at. You know, whether it's her career or whether it's her friendship groups, um, you know, her self image. That's definitely a huge thing within Bridget Jones is that self image thing. Um, you know, being hard on ourselves and and things like that. Um, 
Andrew, how about you? Yeah, kind of just echo what everyone else said earlier. It's a film I absolutely enjoy. You're right, it's of its time. I actually think this maybe gets a bit worse in the second one. Um, not just the kind of uh, Me Too and harassment stuff, but also just the, like you say, the kind of obsession with weight as well. And I think in a time when we're talking a bit more about body positivity and things like that, the, the film, particularly the second one, which we'll get to, but like kind of re- repeatedly makes jokes of the fact that she's fat, air quotes, um, and that she's got to lose all this weight. And yet they've cast an actor who is really not overweight at all. You know, and that's kind of like the butt of all the jokes and that you watch them like, but like this is, that in itself, it's, it's progressive, I think, of a film in a sense that it was supposed to be embracing imperfection and embracing women who drink too much and eat too much chocolate and don't have a boyfriend. And that, that's why it's gained such a following. And I think that was how it was perceived at the time. But now we look at it and we're like, why were they even discussing those ideals anyway? You know, yeah. why is she yeah. trying to match them? rather than, whereas before I think it was, the progressiveness was in the fact she was failing and was still likeable, you know? Um, but just as a film, I think it's, it's enjoyable, it's sweet, it's frothy. Um, the two leads are really good. I mean, the the whole Colin Firth idea, the fact that he's literally called Mr. Darcy, isn't he? And this <laughs> yeah, is like, what, six years after Brand Prejudice that he did on BBC? Um, mm. And he very much plays that. I don't know if anyone's seen that, but like, that stony-faced Mr. Darcy, like, no emotion kind of thing. He, they've just done, like, a modern-day version and got Colin Firth to play it, which I think is quite a nice little meta joke. And Hugh Grant is like all his normal characters, but worse. He's like his normal characters without without the charm. Yeah, um, he's got this kind of, like, toxic element to him. Like, he's very... Very sleazy. Yeah, like, he's like a, yeah. a proper villain without being a villain. Um and I, well, he is, he is a little bit of a villain at times, but, and he is kind of the much needed energy opposite Firth, to be honest. Like when I'm watching Colin Firth, I'm sat there thinking, all right, I get it. You're this sort of stiff upper lip, uh, British type, you know, can't deal with your emotions, which is interesting. It's kind of addressed actually in the third film. Um, but you kind of needed the Hugh Grant character to inject that life and comedy and energy into the piece. Cause otherwise it would have just been a very sort of boring down the line, uh, romantic story of someone who, yeah, obviously, um, Bridget's great. Like she's full of quirks and lots of interesting sort of points of view, but with Colin first character, it's slightly more harder to, to, do- to connect and like him. I think, well, that's the way I found uh, his character anyway. Um, Brian, how did you feel about the, the well, let's start with the Colin Firth character, shall we? Um, the Colin Firth character, I mean, again, it's, it's interesting that they, they chose the name Darcy, you know, it puts it all in context, doesn't it? But mm. yeah, he does kind of represent the, um, the typical British male who can't express himself properly, who feels emotion, but doesn't show it. And there's that counterpoint between him and Cleaver, I think, really, where, as mm. you were saying just now, that you need characters like that to, to bounce off each other and and add some some light and heat and that that makes the, the script a lot more li- a much livelier i think but again i don't know when it comes to taking sides and characters that you sympathize with a lot more i think darcy probably does get a lot, a lot of support i think from a viewer's point of view or a, a, you know the audience watch, watching that story unfold would favour Darcy because he's deep down inside he's genuine, he's decent, 
and mm. people respond to a decent character, although he might come across as dull slightly. And it's because he can't show his feelings. Yeah, I, I definitely think that um, you know he's he's the more sort of heroic of the two male characters. Um, Chris, how do you find the uh, the friendship group that um, Bridget has? You know, she's got the uh, three friends and and that sort of element to it. How how is that for you? I think I think the the, the friendships Bridget has are the almost the key support emotional key support structure she has in her life and they are absolutely um instrumental in quite a lot quite a few of the decisions she makes whether they're for better or for worse throughout the films um but i think that's like life you know when you're in relationships you also have those friend relationships who bring you up when you're feeling down or pursuing directions you possibly wouldn't go whether it's with um, Darcy or Cleaver and those friends and they just really help um, Bridget find her feet when she's feeling down and you know um, take jabs at her in, in in almost love in a loving kind of way to mm. make her think that you know not everything's as bad as it seems even though it does seem really bad for Bridget at the time but I think those friends structures are important for anyone who's going through that kind of situation and those three are the typical are the are great examples of those kind of friends you need in that kind of situation i think it's they're written really well yeah that's what i think is one of the real strengths of the bridget jones's films is that even though obviously you've got a, a titular character that all of the extra characters all of the obviously probably because it comes from uh from novel but you've got so much to delve into like from like the friendship group like we're talking about to like her parents like Jim Broadbent as the dad and Gemma Jones as the mum um Andrew obviously you know Chris just touched on the fact that her friendship group is the sort of support network um and that's potentially because her <laughs> her parents are quite sort of unsupportable or, or a bit useless at times how did you find the you know, the performances and the characters of the of the parents I think it's it's lovely, really, in general. I think it's a nice... In, th- in three films, the kind of level of support from her parents varies. But I just think the use of those actors, the use of Jim Broadbent in particular, and then the friends as well, you know, Sally Phillips, Shirley Henderson. And it, you meant to allude to it earlier, but in general, in the Bridget Jones films, you have this just array of British comedy talent. And you get this in a lot of rom-coms. I think rom-coms are one of the best... Is one of the best genres for getting a supporting, great supporting work in there because you just get people who just pop up for one scene and they're really funny. I'm thinking mm. like Rowan Atkinson in Love Actually, for example, you know, <laughs> yeah. when you're dropping the yeah. gift, things like that where people just turn up and like, oh, it's such and such, and they're funny for a minute and they leave because it's this kind of circle of British comedians who all know each other. And yeah, I just think it make it elevates something, you know, even if the script wasn't good, which it is. Even if it wasn't, you know, Jim Broadbent, Gemma Jones, they can they can raise it, and there is a warmth to that to it all as well. So I think, yeah, I think absolutely its strength I think lies in the kind of the depth of the cast as opposed to just in the three leads. Yeah, and there's almost two sides to the to the supporting cast that balance out the the film really nicely. You've got, like I say, the support network Bridget has and her three friends that really bring her up, and then you've got her mum who's constantly at her for, you know 
not losing weight, not having a man, not dressing right, etc. And it just balances and it sort of showcases from an external point of view the turmoil that not only is Bridget putting herself in, but all these external factors are putting her in pressure to make her think she needs to be a certain way to please everyone. And she's just struggling to do so. Yeah, I definitely I caught hold of that. It was obviously it's a this character's journey, so it's the world that she she sees it, and you've got all these um, idiosyncrasies to her personality that have kind of been shaped. You can see them being shaped by the way that her parents or her friends talk to her, because it kind of all comes out later on. And there are some other bits which were a bit like, wow, she isn't this like strong confident character at this point she's obviously trying to get there and by the sort of third film she is there we'll get on to that but like for example um like one of the characters just like gropes her quite early on in the beginning of the film she's mm. going to the, the christmas party and it's like a an uncle or something and um it's like in front of her mum and dad and they, they, they don't do anything don't <laughs> mean? i'm just sat there like <laughs> I've got a daughter and I can tell you for one that is not what would be happening and it was just this but it was done in a way and it ties into what you guys were saying about the performances that felt incredibly authentic and British that the idea of actually if something like that had happened 20 years ago before a lot of the sort of you know newer age thinking about me too and stuff that some of these this stuff did go it does you know uh, unpunished and people things did happen and, and parents did say comments to their, their children that maybe we wouldn't say now um and i think it was important that you know to to recognize that, it, that they've captured something incredibly british here and this sort and and you know we talked about how the darcy character is very sort of you know difficult to express his emotions and actually one of that ways is then to do it through comedy um and Links me in quite nicely to the the point I was going to make about um, that Richard Curtis is on here as a, a writer um, and Andrew Davies. Obviously, it's based on the novel, but you've got these these sort of guys coming in uh, heavyweights with comedy. Um, I'm not going to jump too much into Richard Curtis films on this podcast because I feel like he's going to get his own whole episode. Um, but I did read somewhere that apparently um, Hugh Grant only joined the the cast once he knew that. Um, Richard Curtis was on as a writer, so that obviously goes some ways to to show his uh, his power as a, as a comedian, comedic writer. Um, uh, Brian, the, you know, in terms of the script and and that stuff, um, and you know, looking at the work of Davies and Curtis, he they, those two were on for both the first and the second film. Um, yeah. What's your opinion on that? Yeah, I mean, look, Richard Curtis t- tends to give a kind of a seal of quality doesn't he it's a mark mm. of quality that he always puts on whatever he's involved in and i think he does make a difference i mean wh- where he had they had helen fielding on, on board obviously as the creator but he got he gave he broadened it out a bit more and he, he gave the characters extra life i think it wasn't just him but you could see it coming through because you look at his other work you can see what he does he breathes life into a character he makes them three three-dimensional it's not just him doing it but you can see his influence is there even though he wrote theoretically wrote a third of the, the screenplay it still shows it's still you still feel it's you look at it you think oh this is a richard curtis film or he's involved in it in some way that he's had some input and I think that really shows 
in he started writing we know how he writes we know the type of characters that he writes about and it fits it was a good fit with Bridget Jones at the time so I, I think he will always make the difference if you've got Richard Curtis on board as a script writer and you're producing a film you're going to say right okay we're going to be okay with this <laughs> because he gives it that added shine and that mark of quality that I think so important for a, yeah. particularly for a rom-com yeah I, yeah, I think like whether your thoughts are on Richard Curtis's films and you know him as a writer or director, there's a reason he's one of the most commercially successful British writer directors we have is because he there's no one better at putting British people British culture up on a screen like he is, and he gets it, and I think that's part and parcel as to why the success of not only Bridget Jones but a lot of those kind of films are so successful because he understands the characters and he understands what it's like to be British and he and he, he puts it across and we can all instantly relate to everything he does. Yeah, I definitely think that quintessential British feel is what has sort of cemented Bridget Jones in the popular culture sort of uh, hall of fame. Um, and interesting when we look at the, the series as a whole that he wasn't on for the third film. Um, so before we get to the third film, let's have a quick look at um, The Edge of Reason, which is the, the second film, uh, again, with Curtis and Davies on as writers. Um, so in this film, uh, we're not going to go too much into spoilers because these films have been out, like we said, 20 years. So yeah, if you've not seen them now, it's not a spoiler. It's just the fact that you've been hiding somewhere in a bunker um she has now got her love which it turns out to be uh the darcy character um but now she struggles to keep him and they realize that maybe they're not the best fit and she ends up going on a, a romantic trip with uh the hugh grant character um and starts to fall for him and is very sort of obviously in turmoil about who to choose a uh, big dilemma, which it says on the poster. Um, one of the things that, I, that really came out of this film for me was this idea of, of class. And it comes out in so much, uh, so many rom-coms where you've got often a character from one, you know, uh, echelon of life and, and another one, they fall in love, but they're from worlds apart, but often it's, it's worlds separated by money or status and it was it was really hit home in this film because there's a scene where Bridget is uh, at a cocktail party and she's already made an absolute you know, mess of turning up she's got makeup all of her face because she was in a taxi and then someone makes a comment about not giving to charity and she you know, instantly just reacts in a purely uninhibited way of just saying oh that's that's crazy talk you must be you know, an absolute rich snob and the whole room just looks at her and goes oh my God, what did she just say? And it really touched on a really actually like quite a you know, heavy theme there about this idea about you know, can people from different classes actually ever form relationships in, in, a, in a meaningful way? Um, is that something that you picked up, Andrew, from this film or, or did you pick up something else? Um, it's a good point. I I think it's interesting, but I'm not sure it's so much... The class issue is definitely there. I'm not sure it's so much sure that there's a class divide between her and say the Colin Firth character though, because she is also like, you look at her parents and that like, she is resolutely British middle class as well. Like she's hardly like come from like the wrong end of London and 
you know, gone into this different world. She is very much part of it as well. I think she's just, as we could say, perhaps of Richard Curtis himself, she is in that kind of upper middle class world, but has that kind of more forthright liberal conscience where she'll speak out and she'll do the right thing. I think mean, that's nice. It's not, I don't think the film pretends that she's like a working class warrior, but no. it, it sort of looks at her against the, it, it just looks at her in the context of other people in that class and that society and it's the it's not so much that they even necessarily disagree with her it's that i can't believe she said it i can't believe she actually just came out and just said what she thought like you know because one doesn't do that um but yeah i think yeah it's interesting but like like we said before about the kind of quintessential britishness of it like it's also worth remembering that this is like one very specific version of britishness like it's it's almost a self-reinforcing stereotype i think that I think probably people who maybe aren't from Britain have seen a lot of Richard Curtis films thinks that ever, think that everyone in Britain is like a Richard Curtis film. Yeah. And I, it's just not, it's, you know, it's actually quite a small cross-section of society, but it's what people think of as British. It obviously comes from something. Um, and that those ideas and those kind of idiosyncrasies and neuroses that he gets a lot of comedy from. And he's always sending up that world, which I think is really nice. Um, and yeah, and I think putting her in there with her kind of quite, free quite not i'm say loud mouth that sounds too critical you know what i mean she has unfiltered yeah uh, quality that she has and i think that is one of the nicer parts of a fairly bumpy film i would say yeah i, I you know I'm reluctant to sort of really slate the film but i must say watching three back to back this really did stand out as a bit of a stinker amongst the other two um uh chris how how did you find well you kind of uh said about how you felt this at the beginning but you know how's Bridget Jones edge of reason for you yeah I, I'm I'm not willing to I, I'm not really one to want to stand and slate this one as well you know it's an enjoyable film it has it has its moments it has its qualities but I feel as with the way of a lot of sequels it suffers a lot from the success of the first one and it tries to therefore be bigger and better second time around and I don't think it quite manages to do it um there's a lot it tries to do differently but doesn't necessarily pull off and then there's maybe some things it could have tried to do a bit differently instead but I think on the whole it's not a bad film it's just when you put it next to the other two in the series especially if like you said you're watching a back-to-back it's kind of a a definite um, downward motion in terms of quality before coming back up again, unfortunately. Yeah, um, I totally agree, definitely. Uh, Brian? Yeah, I think I think with sequels, you know, I'm not a huge fan of sequels in general, but I think when you look at a sequel for a rom-com, you are literally destroying the happy ending that you had at the end of the first one, right? which kind of defeats the object for me a little bit, because... Rom-coms deal in, deal in happy endings, right? Where they live happily ever mm. after. But of course, you bring it back, you've got to destroy that happy ending and start again. And I think in certainly in the second and third Bridget Jones films, they did repeat a lot of the scenarios. In Bridget Jones 2, The Edge of Reason, you know, they had Darcy and, and Cleaver having a fight. You know, they had uh, Bridget embarrassing Darcy's clients. They were kind of repeating scenarios. But I think... 
it's a good point you made about class, though, because I think throughout Bridget Jones, all three films, class is bubbling away in the background because it is dealing with uh, middle-class sensibilities in so many ways. And the fact that Bridget, as a character, doesn't have a social register, right? That seems clear from the word go, that she is incredibly likable as a person, but she doesn't realise the implications of what she's saying. And that becomes clear all the way through. And that all kind of mingles in with class tensions. So I think that's a valid point as well. But generally speaking, I was disappointed. It was it was okay. Just okay, though. But you, as Chris just mentioned, though, that you do compare it unfavourably with the first film. And the first film is almost always the best film in, a, in any series of sequels, you come back to the first film again, and, I, and it doesn't match up. And I agree, with, I agree with you there, Brian. When you've done a, the first rom-com in any series, and you've got your happy ending, and then you revisit for a sequel, the, you, you're always asking, like, oh, what happens after the happy ending? You know, do they actually go off and get married, etc.? Whereas if you then go into a sequel, you're picking apart all these threads that people have invested time and cared about these characters enough to want to see them fit together only to tear it all apart again and people don't like that and I, I don't think when they see a love story be pulled apart only to be retold again the same way um for no real gain it seems hmm. to be, to I, be, I, to be I find it very messy as a film i was watching it and it just felt uh kind of incoherent and there were things that were happening and and lots of scenes but it, none of it really felt as glued as the first film that felt like right we know what we're doing this is feels very structured and, and it, it works um and then the second film came along and just said oh yeah let's just try another one um three years later and it, it just did not at all uh hit for me um I, I still found it a bit endearing i did like the characters i like spending more time with them but i just wish it had been on a story that had made some kind of sense as to bring it back like why this was uh, would happen um and then we jump you know, over a decade to bridget jones's baby which comes out in 2016 and this time we don't have curtis on um and davies we've got dan mazer and emma thompson uh, funny enough, he also appears in the film in a very funny character. I must say, I, do, I really enjoyed her character. Um, and you know, we're, we're talking a completely different time frame now. So much has happened between 2004 and 2016, and we get a new film. Um, I, I, I don't think this one was based on a book either, I think this one was just purely a film, and it really worked for me anyway. I, I found yeah. it was actually very funny the structure of it actually really worked they introduced new blood because you get this other character who comes in um and the hugh grant character is actually completely sidelined because they they say that he killed <laughs> he died or something um and so now we see uh, it's the story of, of bridget um she gets pregnant after hooking up with a guy at a music festival, but also with Darcy a week later, and she doesn't know who the father is. Um, I was quite flippant there by the say hooking up, by the way. She's not like going around doing it all the time. It just happens to be just two times. Um, and the whole film is her journey to motherhood and also dealing with the idea of 
you know, does she even need a partner at this point? Does she need who did she, or who should she choose, or should he should it even be a choice? Um, but I found it really funny. It actually stood up. I watched it again uh, recently. Uh, I saw it at the cinema when it first came out, and I still found it really really funny. And also, um, I'll, I'll hand over to you guys in a second. But just to note the fact that how often is there actually a trilogy of rom-coms like that doesn't really happen you don't often you're they're normally just singular films so for this to have even you know done that is already putting it like head and shoulders above some films just for being as bold to to do this um so uh, let's start with chris chris how are you i think you like this one right i did um i really really enjoyed this i i saw it when it came out in the cinema as well and i just i, I just remember laughing pretty much all the way through mm-hmm. um to answer to go back to one of the points you just made in terms of a trilogy of rom-coms i i agree i can't really off think racking my brain of a another trilogy apart from maybe something like the netflix ones two other boys i've loved before but mm-hmm. not on this kind of scale no. I guess and I think but yes to to go back to this one yeah I thoroughly enjoyed it I think I, I don't want to say it would be my favorite of the three but it, it could be close with the first one for sure and I think the key is Emma Thompson yeah. I think having her on board as a writer has basically it updates Bridget um to uh well to then the present time which was back in 2016 it also not just the return of Bridget Jones after I think you said over over a decade but Rennie Zellberger had taken a six-year break at this point as well so I think the fact that all those factors coming together and people I guess being Bridget being left to um to, to live lie for a while really gave this um film enough time to for people to want it and i feel like they 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 hit all the nails on the head and what's good about this film as well is you have obviously the the core relationship or relationships between um bridget and darcy and obviously jack uh, patrick damsey's character as well but ultimately i I've, i've got the feeling at the end that regardless of which it wasn't so much a case about her ending up with Mark or either of the, it was about her being comfortable in herself and her having her baby. And, you know, it's about her happiness that isn't necessarily driven by a male counterpart, which I find really refreshing as well. I totally agree. I'm so glad that you said that because it felt that this film almost was needed to just cement Bridget Jones's place because had we left it, you know, in the first two films, it would have been a very time capsule kind of experience. You'd go back to this film and go, gosh, this just isn't the way that we live anymore. But this third film almost was a way of bringing it completely up to up to date and go, no, do you know what? Actually, her character has evolved and so has society and so has culture. I, I agree. Yeah. I, sorry, I think, I think at the end of this, if... if... Bridget, for whatever reason, had turned around and said, you know what, I don't need either of you, mm. then that would have been absolutely fine. She's she's happy in herself. It just so happens that, you know, there is a happier, a happy ending with um with Darcy. Um, but I feel like it's not the crux of the film as it has yeah. been in the other two. Yeah, there's a lot of scenes where she does things for herself and she she you know, she's like a badass at work, like, you know, 
controlling the whole way things are go, and she stands up to her boss, who is also a woman, and she says, you know, no, I'm not going to take this. And it's things like that, which you, it just sort of needed to say, look, this character is still important even now. Um, it's not someone that we could just sort of dismiss as you know, 20 years ago. Um, and yeah, I, I genuinely thought it was, was really, really funny. Um, Brian, how are you with the, the third one then? Yeah, I quite like the third one. I think it was better than the second film. But I, mm. I did get the feeling, though, that it was, you know, from a, a sort of a creative point of view, a final throw of the dice. What else can we do with Bridget as a character? Mm. I know, let's make a pregnant. But what it does do, though, is that it does tie a bow on the story, right? Because throughout those three films, you, you begin to care about Bridget as a character. And you want her to be happy. Again, it's just a secret, very good writing. You want the character to be happy. And at the end of the third film, you felt that she found some peace and that the story had a bow on it now. And I mm. think that was a nice way to end it. So, yes, a much better film than, than the second one, but not a patch on the first one. Oh, so I, I feel very, very protective and, and, <laughs> and very, very attached to the first film. Oh, that's okay. I, I'm funny you were saying about the end is I'm struggling to remember what happened at the end of the second film. Could anyone remember? Well, I, I think she ends up with Colin Firth again, and yeah. I think so because he like comes and rescues her from jail or something, doesn't he? Then he proposed to her. Yeah, he proposes. No, he's going to the recap for the third one. Yeah, do you see he proposes? Yeah, yeah he proposes. Her, to which is her funny. parents were renewing their vows, and he proposes yes. to her yeah. when they're doing that. Yeah. Which right. is part of my issue with the third one, which is like three times now I've watched the same rom-com story where she's ended up with the same person at the end three times. It's like you were saying, Brian, the problem with doing a, rom- a sequel to a rom-com. Like, it makes, it makes the, you wonder if they should be together. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't, it doesn't really fit with the story. And also it, just, yeah. it, it does smack of like we were trying to make a sequel to them. They shouldn't have had a sequel because we just made them break up and get back together three times. That said, I think Bridget's Baby is actually my favourite of the three. Like, it has really good points. I think it's just, I don't think it's quite a brave enough film to be a really good film, really good one. I think, like you said, Chris, like, not only would it have been perfectly fine for her to end up with neither of them, I think she shouldn't have ended up with either of them. Because if anything, if we've learned anything from the previous two films, is it, that it doesn't really work with mm. Mark Darcy. Like and the fact they broke the way the reason they broke up in the first place is quite kind of vague. Oh, he works too much. Like it's very cliched, and then that's apparently all completely changed and forgotten because he just throws his phone out the window. Like and it doesn't. Oh, yeah. That's it. It's so it's fine. So she can marry him this time, but she couldn't the first time because this time he's throwing his phone out the window. And like I just think, considering we've heard these things before of how he loves him more than he loves his job, like it just felt a bit false and also. I don't know, I think the whole kind of single mother thing worked nicely and they really made a go of that, but then also kind of didn't quite go for it. He kind of flirts with making that statement and does, I think, but then also marries her off to Conor at the end. And it just felt a bit, I don't know, and like, there was way, like we're saying, this was moved with the times, there's way less stuff about her weight and things like that, but it does still get mentioned every now and then. And I'm like, there's a little bit of that, the film that's clinging to the original films because it's trying to satisfy a certain audience, I think. But I was like, maybe just have the courage of your convictions and just make a new film with this character. Don't try and recapture anything of the first film because you're not going to do that as well as the first one did. 
for me, that's one of the problems, though, when you stretch it out over three films, is that the, the characters get fractured slightly and the relationships are fractured as well. And it doesn't seem seem very smooth. And it, that, that transition doesn't seem quite as credible, particularly between one and two. Yeah, I, I hadn't really um, you know, thought about the characters wearing down so much um, because it felt kind of like you know, Bridget is enduring and, you know, so often, you know, if you've read, especially uh, trilogy books, often what happens is the two you know, central characters who are going to be, you, you know, they're going to be the love story. They often go apart, come together, go apart, come together. That's quite like a classic device in storytelling because it's like the, you know, will they eventually ever get back together? Like something like Twilight, you know, you see they go apart, they come back, they go apart, they come back. Um, and that for me kind of felt almost sort of normal that you know it's, it's been done a lot. Um so it brings us on quite nicely, I guess, then to where we've got more singular stories, singular love stories, um, you know, in the rom com genre. And um, I, I guess I'm going to start with um, something like You've Got Mail. And the only reason is um, I watched that more recently than any of the others. And it's a Nora Ephron film, um, who I know is sort of she's a bit of a heavyweight in in the in the category. So. Um, for anyone who hasn't seen You've Got Mel, it's the story of um, well, we've got Tom Hanks, who's a big business magnate, and he owns a, a bookstore that's about to put a smaller bookstore out of business, who is owned by um, Meg Ryan's character, and inevitably they uh, sort of come together. But what also is happening is they are currently communicating via email in what is arguably the most sort of dated aspect of the film um, is their email inbox and they are they don't know that it's each other so they've met in real life but they don't know they're actually communicating online in a chat room sort of environment or email environment and um, it's a really interesting film I think because there are a lot of themes about this which are still very relevant you know the idea about who we are online versus who we are in the real world this uh, you know having multiple personalities and whether or not love has a place within the digital world or is it still very much like a you know, a reality thing um did you guys get to rewatch you've got mail anyone seen this one I didn't rewatch, but I watched for the first time only about a year ago, I think. Less than that, yeah. actually. One of the lockdowns. That's one of the lockdowns. <laughs> it's um, a good lockdown film, actually. And, yeah. and, and how did you feel about it? I really like it. We'll get, we'll get on to um, When Harry Met Sally, probably, mm. shortly. Um, but I'm a big When Harry Met Sally fan. So with Nora Ephron's name on this, you, I, I think you go in expecting a certain calibre of, of rom-com. Yeah. Um, and it's Meg Ryan again as well, and and we all love Meg Ryan. And yeah, it's really good. It's just a very, it's a quite a clever film. I think it's like you say it's a, it's a bit dated. Obviously, it's a bit dated. It's really funny actually, just watching them type on these massive computers and and email such a thing. But somehow you still do get that sense of the the newness of it all. That's probably not very, the right word for it. But the novelty of it. That's it. The novelty of it to these characters like you still actually feel that powerful sense of oh there's this possibility of like communicating with someone you've never met and it's very clever um we may go on sleeps in seattle but it's so much better than sleeps in seattle because they do meet they do know each other and they hate each other and then they love each other in their online versions and then it just begs the question of do they actually hate each other in real life or is it just because of the position they're in you know and i think it does actually ask some nice questions of you know, the ethics of big consumer bookstores and 
her little independent. Like I quite it deals with it all quite well. It's funny, it's sweet, it's got a nice ending. I think it's a yeah, it's a very solid rom commentary. Yeah, obviously it's a it's from the nineties and it's a PG, um, so it's quite sort of family friendly almost. Um but there's a lot of lot, lot to enjoy there. Um Chris, have you seen it? I have seen it, um, but probably not since probably the mid nineties that is when I saw it um for the first time. Um but I do know what you mean. When you, as soon as the minute you stick technology in any film, you give it time. Eventually, it's going to look dated, and of course, it will. But I don't think it takes away from the main premise of the film and what all the good things the film does deliver. You know, obviously, it's Nora Ephron who is a rom-com writing legend. Uh, Meg Ryan, who's one of the most iconic rom-com leads we have, and Tom Hanks, who's probably one of the most likable men on the planet. So mm. you've got all these factors at play that, you know, just meet just a, a recipe for a really enjoyable film. And I, I, I agree with everything Andrew said. I think it's got a lot going on. It's really nice. It's, you know, it's sweet. It's funny and better than um, Sleepless in Seattle. Um, obviously not as good as when Harry met Sally because you know classic, but it's it's definitely up there with the great. Mm, okay, um, and then Brian, for you, have you seen it? Yes, I've seen it. I've not seen it recently, but um, a very good film. It's very solid. You know, I'm a huge fan of Nora Ephron, uh, and also, I mean, when you got a cast like that, Tom Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. You can't fail. You can't go wrong with it, really. It's you've got a great formula that, that works. I, but really, at this distance, this time and this distance, it's difficult to imagine a time when email was a newfangled idea, and back then it was. So it's as we've just touched on it. It is it is dated in a nice way because it's it just it just adds to the the attraction and the, the luster of the film. Mm. Um, so a very good film, very solidly written and performed. But in, in a strange way, though. I think for me, in my own mind, it suffered slightly in comparison to Slips in Seattle, that the same the same two leads, same writer, same director, five years apart, admittedly. But I, I don't know, I kind of half preferred Slips in Seattle a bit more because because that was more of a kind of a tugging at the heartstrings type of film, a bit more than, than uh, You've Got Mail is, but a very good film. No question, it's a good film and very watchable. Okay. Uh, well, it's interesting you guys have brought up a few of the other films that we want to talk about. But what we're doing now is just delving into a few of the sort of films that would be obviously before Bridget Jones. Um, so you've got Mel was nineteen ninety eight, and if we jump back to the uh, when Harry Met Sally, which is eighty nine, you know, even further back uh, again, Nora Ephron as a writer, uh, but it's directed by Rob Reiner, Billy Crystal, Meg Ryan again. So we've got these sort of staples of of rom coms here. Um, I feel like I've been doing a lot of the talking tonight. So, uh, um, Andrew, do you want to give the synopsis for When Harry Met Sally? Yes, gladly. Um, so, When Harry Met Sally, uh, for those that don't know, I don't know who, who wouldn't have seen it, but um, is uh, Harry and Sally, and they meet as they're leaving college in America. They share a car, I think his car. Um, no, anyway. Um, they drive down uh, to New York together, and... They don't don't get on. Basically, he's he's not a particularly nice character actually when you first meet him, but he gets a lot more likable as it goes on. And he flirts with her, and she rejects him. 
and you kind of leave it at that and then they see each other again a few years later and they kind of keep seeing each other again and he has this theory which is nonsense by the way but makes quite good viewing for the film that, that men and women can't be friends because like sex will always get in the way and therefore you can't be male female friends um and they then become friends and then would be more will be not and it just goes from there and it just spends so much time with the two characters it doesn't get hung up in a a, a premise around it you know or a kind of gimmick he just lets the characters be the characters um yeah it's uh, uh, it's and you're a fan right i'm a big fan i think <laughs> i think it's one of my favorite films of all time when i'm at sally i think it's the the absolute gold standard for a rom-com personally I think I, I've yet to see anything that beats it for, it sounds very, very um, straightforward and a bit daft, but like I haven't seen very many good rom-coms that are genuinely romantic and genuinely funny. I think I've seen really good, I've seen good examples of both. I think we'll get on again, Richard Curtis will have his own podcast, but Falling's in a Funeral is a film I find really funny, really engaging, really enjoyable. But I don't really believe the romance that much. There's a lot of rom-coms like that, are better the con than the rom. And mm. When Harry Met Sally is one of the most romantic things I've ever seen. And it's so sharp, so witty. It, I mean, we're talking over 30 years now, like relatively undated. I mean, like they say, that, that central premise is very gendered. It's very other. It's not kind of, it's a sort of particular moment in time looking at how these this man and this woman treat each other. And yeah, and that idea that you can't have friend of the opposite sex and not be like it is nonsense but the film perhaps knows it is nonsense i think um i'm not really sure but the character he matures as it goes on and it's just so it just spends so long with them spoiler kind of before they get together mm. which i think a lot of films don't do and they, they skip they run over things they get too involved in subplots or gimmicks or whatever and it just lets them talk and talk and talk and you really feel for, for them. And it has also the best ending to, a rom, to any rom-com ever as well. I mean, it's it's an iconic film. You know, the, the scene where she's in the cafe. I'm um, mm. trying to keep this fairly PG, so I'm not going to say what happens. But <laughs> anyone who's watched it will know what I mean. That, that, that you know when your film is good because everyone decides to spoof that moment and that moment that moment's still being spoofed now like there's still things coming out where they they you know, reimagine that scene um and yeah it's, it's I, I love the 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 purity of this film um it's got a, such a uh, you know an idea there that they then go right here's our film here's our great characters and here's our film and it, it just really really works um it's also yeah, as a, as film critics, you guys will really appreciate the fact that the film is only just over an hour and a half. Oh, now, yeah. that is such a, a yeah. massive thing. Yeah. One of my huge problems with rom-coms are ones that outstay their welcome. Yeah. And so often, you know, rom-coms should be 90 minutes. I just think that's more than enough to do what you're going to do because, the, the well, for me, it's the comedy. It won't be funny for two hours. It just won't. You won't see a good, you know, funny film for two hours unless you're absolutely on top of your game and very often if you're trying to do that with a romance plot it's just it's just going to fall flat eventually you're going to get in, you're you'll be in the drudgery of trying to tell this story whereas someone like when harry met sally as you said andrew it's so sharp it's so you know brilliantly kind of curated that 
it's that's why I think it's so timeless because there aren't there's no like sort of bagginess here. There's nothing here that just goes like with Bridget Jones, it is a bit baggy. There are bits in there that are a bit like, oh, did you need that scene or did you need that bit? But I think you know this is such a incredible piece. Um, Brian, is this one up there for you? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Yeah, it's a wonderful film. Uh, I totally agree with your point about the running length of the film. 90 minutes is, for me, the perfect uh, length for any film to run. 90 minutes, one hour full C. It's just right. You know, because then there's no there's no ballast, right? You have a script that's very kind of neat and trim. There's there's no there's no padding there, and I think 90 minutes is the ideal running time. I, I think anything above one hour 40, one hour 50, you lose the audience slightly. You really mm. do. I think with when Harry met Sally, it's a wonderful film. It's a great film. It still stands the test of time easily. What I would say though about that that scene. In, in that restaurant, it kind of overshadows what is an incredibly good film, a very intelligent script. You know, according to IMDb, uh, the restaurant where that scene was filmed has got the same table with a plaque on it where Harry met Sally, hope you had what she had, or something like that. Yeah. So it becomes a legend all by itself, and it kind of overshadows the film, and it shouldn't be doing that because it is a great film. Picking up on Andrew's point about the premise for the film that um, a guy can't be friends with a girl, we, you can't have a platonic friendship with someone. Of course, yes, now, in, in our modern way of thinking, that that's nonsense. But throughout the 80s, that was a commonly held view. And that is really just a film pinning itself down in time and saying, well, yeah, that was a commonly held view at the time. Um, although that is true now when you look back at it, but that's what it's doing. It's taking a snapshot of society the way it was then. And we're only talking about 30 years, but it shows you how things have changed. But doesn't detract from the fact that it is a wonderful film. And Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan are just absolutely brilliant. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's difficult to force it, really. It's a five-star film. What a duo, yeah, definitely. Um, Chris, you feel the same? Yeah, I feel the same. Just to go on the point of people who may not have seen this film, as of about five hours ago, my wife hadn't seen this film. Uh-huh. Um, which I remedied quickly. <laughs> um, but sorry to or on the podcast. But um she 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 loved it and you, I agree it's a five star film. It's it's a it's an amazing such a tight screenplay. You're right, ninety minutes is the perfect length. It's funny, you know, Meg Ryan, Billy Crystal are 
well, probably the most iconic rom-com pairing you've got. Any romantic film, romantic comedy is only as good as the two leads I think you have in it or the leads, number of leads you have in it. And these two are the, probably the most shining examples of what it can do when you get that absolutely spot on with a great script and everything just comes together beautifully. Fantastic. I've actually been outside that diner uh, in New York and there's a queue around the block, which you have to wait about four hours if you want to go in there <laughs> just to go and sit at the table. It's ridiculous, but it's it's there. Um, but I think every from beginning to end, it's great. And it just it turns a lot of the tropes that you'd expect with romantic comedies on its head. You know, the meat cute isn't exactly the meat cute you expect. You know, it's they, they don't get they don't have a romantic relationship straight away. And I also agree that the concept that um, Harry has that men and women can be friends is nonsense. But I also um, to to echo Andrew's point, I think the film does know that, but it gets us to a point where we're practically screaming at the screen for them to just get on with it because we know they're supposed to be together. So we're just egging them on to try and finally realize it themselves. And it has a brilliant ending at the end of it all as well. Hmm. Oh, well, you know, it feels like we're, we're all singing on the same hymn sheet on this one. Um, and so I'm going to move it one year on um, to Pretty Woman. I don't know any of your feedback on this yet, so I'd be interested to see how you felt about this one, uh, for those of you who've seen it. And, yeah, we mentioned earlier about class within Bridget Jones. Now, it's far more acute in this film, where you've got, you know, um, you've got uh, Julia Roberts playing a prostitute who meets uh, Richard Gere's character, who is a high-flying businessman, very, very rich, and their two worlds collide because he ends up paying for her company, um, but that's it, just her company, and keeping her on board through his sort of uh, shenanigans as a, as a rich person. Um, and it's whether or not they'll be able to fall in love because they come from essentially two opposite worlds. And have has everyone seen this one? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, I've seen it. Yeah, and you know, uh, let's start with Chris. Um, is how's this for you then? Um, so I saw this film for the first time probably about six months ago, uh, when I was going through a phase of watching films I probably should have watched a long, long time ago. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I I thought it was great. I think again, going what I said before, it's a, a films as like this is as good as its two leads, and it has two really great leads in Richard Gere and Julia Roberts, especially Julia Roberts, who isn't necessarily the one looking for a man and, you know, trying to validate her life by having a man in, in her in her life, but is actually quite a strong character. And I really like that about it. But it's got this really interesting dynamic and a, a nice twist on the genre as well that I like. I like when a rom-com delivers something a bit different than the usual chasing of you know potential partners and you know the the usual shtick you get with these kind of things but i think it really um again there's a reason it's so, it's so iconic and i think it's a really good example of a rom-com done right mm. yeah i i definitely agree um andrew yeah i think it's a really enjoyable film uh, again it's another one or basically every rom-com that like dates a bit because i think our attitudes towards sex work now are so different probably to what they were then but it's not a film that kind of 
generally deals in sort of shaming or anything like that. So in that sense, it was probably fairly progressive. It obviously just has a quite a quite saviory type narrative to it that we might avoid these days. But for a purely kind of just enjoyable rom-com level, it's, it's great. I think we can't really talk about Pretty Woman's Appeal without talking about Julia Roberts, I think, as a rom-com star. Like yeah. I mentioned um, Four Weddings and a Funeral earlier, and without getting too much into it, Curtis, which I've said several times now, but um, if you look at, I always, I think Notting Hill was a much more enjoyable film. And I think yeah. the main difference, no disrespect to Andy McDowell, is, is Julie Roberts, is Notting Hill. That's the difference, I think, one of the biggest differences, because she just has a, a movie star charisma to you. There's, there's great actors, and then there's movie stars. I'm thinking of kind of Brad Pitt as someone else who has a very similar energy of just lights up a screen with just charm and I think she has that and she has in Pretty Woman it, the whole film kind of coasts off of that and off of this character that the whole way through the I noticed re-watching it because I just want to rewatch the the amount of times that the script has that little ways of trying to show her as sort of um contradictory and not like not doing what you think she'd do and stuff like the way she um, you know, she'll behave one way and then suddenly she does something else and oh, I didn't expect her to do that. Like when she has, she blows her nose really loudly um, <laughs> and and it's just sort of like, supposed to be like, oh, that's out of place. And I just think as an audience, you're supposed to be so kind of, um, in, not in awe, but like, you know, enraptured with this character and just watching her and saying, oh, this is not someone we've seen before. Because, you know, true, you haven't seen many rom-com leads who are also sex workers. Like, and because it's Julia Roberts as well, there's that, charm to it that just kind of powers the whole film it's quite a daring premise i must say like it's one of those films that when people hear about if you just write down the tagline it's like oh okay right but then when you watch it it's so endearing it's so charming as you said and yeah it's so much of that is down to julia roberts i think richard Gere is actually really good um i think he plays it very very well it's a believable performance and the two of them have this lovely chemistry, really enjoyable. Could have spent a lot of time with them. They they do break the cardinal sin. It's almost two hours. Um, so obviously it's a terrible film. But if you know, <laughs> if they could just shave half an hour, you get rid of the the polo scene or something like that. Um, but yeah, no, uh, Brian, how about this one? Yeah, I I love Pretty Woman. I think it's a fantastic film. I mean, for one thing, you've got a very strong storyline because it is a contemporary update of Pygmalion, My Fair Lady. That's where where it's where it's putting itself, really. So it's got a strong storyline. Lovely performances. Richard Gere and Julia Roberts are perfect playing together. Um, Julia Roberts, utterly charming throughout. One of her best roles. It's still one of her best roles. Um, the scene in the restaurant where she's trying to walk, work out what fork to use, and she's mm-hmm. saying, I haven't, got the, I haven't got the fork that I know. I think it's brilliant. It's so well-judged and so well-paced. The soundtrack is excellent, the way they use it with with the characters and the storyline. The interplay there is, is fantastic. Um, it's just a lovely film. And visually, it's lovely to watch as well. And as the guys just said, um, the, it's in no small part due to Julia Roberts because, because she she looks great, she sounds great. You like her. You you want to look after her. You want, to, you, want, you want her to be okay, right? Again, creating characters that we care about. And you could spin back 60 years and it could be Kerry Grant and Catherine Hepburn playing those characters. So to me, it's it's preserving and updating the classic rom-com model, if you like. 
but it's a very contemporary setting. And to portray one of the leading characters as, as a sex worker, as we were just saying, was a, a novel approach because you don't get that very often in, in a rom-com. I think, you know, it's, it's definitely a film as well that stood up. Um, it, I watched it recently and I still found it very engaging. Obviously, it's got that kind of warm, fuzzy feel of, a, of an early 90s film, but it, it, it's got a lot to say. Um, and you also, yeah, the soundtrack. Uh, I, I said to my wife I was going to watch Pretty Woman. She was a bit annoyed that I didn't ask her to watch it with me. Um, but she immediately was just like, yeah, Pretty Woman. And then she started singing it off down the, down the hall. Um, yeah, and soundtracks bring me very lovely onto the the next film um what the last one in the older series that we're going to look at which is 10 things i hate about you and absolutely iconic soundtrack in this one um but also it's got this kind of coming of age story to it as well um brian have you seen this one Yes, I have. I saw it today, strangely enough. Okay. I hadn't seen it since it first came out. I only saw it. It's one of those sort of films you think, yeah, that was great. And I remember seeing it when it first came out, but I've not seen it since. So first mm. time in, in 20 years, I sat down and watched it. And it, it's it's a very good film. The the soundtrack, really, yeah, it's great. It's got madness. It's got the bare naked ladies on it as well. So the soundtrack, you can't go wrong um, with it. And I, I think really Julia Stiles just a fantastic towering performance it's her film isn't it it's totally her film um i think larry miller playing the father was excellent some great lines in there you know when he says you know they go into a, a party and he, and he says you know um no kissing no hugging uh, no piercing no no tattoos no ritual slaughter of animals you know <laughs> I, I think that's a great line and that's what you look for in a rom-com it stands out more of course, Heath Ledger as well. He did his bit, but that was more like acting by numbers. It was really about the two sisters and the way they interact together, but a great film. And as you say, coming, a coming-of-age film that still feels fairly fresh, even now. Um, because I think one thing we're discovering, I think, is with rom-coms, is that they do seem to date, and they do represent the time they were made, pretty much. Uh, but I don't think that has quite so much. Though. Yeah, and I think it's a a film obviously based on um well, sort of loosely based on a shakespeare play um and it has this really really tongue-in-cheek feel to the whole film and as you said it's it's got this chock-a-block with some incredible lines fantastic scenes things that are really really memorable that actually funny enough my favorite bit was the dad as well but it's a different line where he says something about oh it's what keeps me up to my elbows in placenta or something like that <laughs> he's a doctor was, isn't he yeah, yeah yeah i was just it's all talking about prom night and i was just <laughs> in bits i was i was found it so funny um chris is this one uh, one of your favorites yeah i love this film i remember we it was in english literature class and we were because it's based on taming of the shrew by shakespeare you're right and they said rather than reading the book you can watch this film and then it'll give you the basic outline of the story that we then read the book subsequently because you know it was english literature class (laughs) but um yeah i i I love this film from there i watched it i was like this film i mean everyone in it who has um is fantastic like obviously joseph gordon levitt early joseph gordon levitt julia styles who i've always always liked whenever she's appeared in anything um the late great heath ledger as well um but for me um and one of the things that gets me about any film is the soundtrack the soundtrack is fantastic in this film I, especially like the bit where it pans from the one car to the other so you go from 
bare naked mm. ladies all the way across yeah. to John Jett, and you're just seeing that you're <laughs> yeah. immediately yeah. get the contrast between these two these two sisters and the lives they lead, and you you just know that okay, they get this. This is how it's this it's this is going to be fun. Um, but yeah, the soundtrack's fantastic, and everyone in it's great. And you know the I I understand what you mean the Heath Ledger role isn't you know revolutionary like some of the other roles that we've already discussed in other podcasts but the bit where he serenades her on the football pitch for me is still one of the best moments in any rom-com oh it's brilliant yeah, i love I it love yeah i, re- I really a, that, that's, a, that's a song i will if if i see that bit i'll be singing along absolutely <laughs> um andrew how about you yeah i think everyone said most of it to it's a really good film. It's a really great film. I almost forget when you when you suggested it. I was like, oh yeah, yeah. I suppose it is a rom com because I always think of it more, and I'm thinking of kind of the, the teen movie, high school teen movie thing. Um, yeah. And there is an overlap there. I think shout out to Clueless as well, the the yeah. absolute king of the teen movie. Um, but again, kind of a rom com as well. Um, I think maybe less than than Ten Things I Hate About You, but both of them literary adaptations, similar era like both the dialogue is just so sharp like dissecting that um materialism of that age group and in that time and place as well like that bit where she's trying to explain to her friend the difference between like and love because i like my sketches but i love my prada backpack and like (laughs) it's just that writing like that it's just so sharp and so like skewing all the characters at once like it's almost like the writers just see the worst instincts and best instincts of everyone at the same time um, to make you both laugh at them and also very endeared towards them. Um, I really love the line, you can be overwhelmed, you can be underwhelmed, but you yeah. never just be whelmed. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's, yeah, I think it's definitely one of the funniest films on, the, on this list, I think. One of the sharpest films on this list. I think the romance bit is good as well. Actually, I think Heath Ledger's great in it. I think he's so good at that. Um, you 100% believe that people, he would go to high school and people would make up those rumours about him because he has that, like, brooding... Like, they think he, like... You know, I can't remember what all the rumours are, but they think he's, like... Oh, he, like, sold his liver or something on the black market. And it's, like, nobody nobody actually knows anything about him. They just see that he's got long hair and he's kind of brooding, but you you believe... That they would and make that stuff up about just him. Just burning stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he ate a duck, didn't he? Apparently, yeah, he ate a duck. The on the on the feet. Yeah. <laughs> yet to be uh, yet to be confirmed. To be fair. Um, <laughs> so, all right. Well, interestingly enough, guys, we've done a whole rom com po- podcast so far, and you've loved every film that we've talked about. There's been no uh, no disagreements here. So, we're going to skip forward to uh, after Bridget Jones's Baby or, or similar time. And have a look at a couple of newer um, newer films in the rom-com genre. So we're going to start in 2017 with The Big Sick. Um, so, Chris, you seen this one? I watched it on Friday. Okay, so time. you can do the, uh, the synopsis if that's okay. Yeah, so um, the synopsis of The Big Sick is a comedian played by Camille Nanjiani who is playing himself. The story is based on the, loosely based on the real life story of Camille Nanjiani and his wife, Emily Gordon, who wrote the film. So Camille is doing a stand-up gig one night and he is heckled lightly by uh, Emily, played by Zoe Kazan, um, at which, after which point they strike up a conversation and begin a relationship. And 
moving forward slightly, the relationship turns a bit uh, sour and ends. Um, however, Emily suddenly takes ill and is put into a medically induced coma. Um, sounds which is very light for a rom com, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, she um to so they can work on the infection that they, they they're still trying to understand what exactly is wrong with her. At which point, Camille stays with her until her parents arrive, played by Holly Hunter and Ray Romano. Um, while they initially try and shrug him off, he tends to stick around and weirdly becomes a rom com. Not so much about him and Emily, but more him and her parents as he tries to win them over and um, they become really close as they bond over the situation that they find their daughter and daughter in. And then there's this undercurrent of um, as well, Camille's uh, from a Pakistani family, but raised in America, but still his family really want him to hold on to all these traditional values that he's reluctant to keep and he wants to just um, try and make a life of his own. Uh, so you've got two kind of really interesting stories going on there while obviously trying to make his stand-up career work. And there's just there's a lot going on, but it's a really interesting new spin on the rom-com genre that I don't think I'd ever seen before. Um, I really, really loved it. I thought it was fantastic. Um, I feel like Kimio Nanjiani for me is one of the funniest people on screen these days. Uh, I've seen him in a few things and he's just great. Um, Zoe Kazan, equally so, but I really like the relationship between Camille and uh, Holly Hunter and Ray Romano's characters as they all try and navigate the situation as best they can. And there's culture clashes, there's all kinds of stuff going on. And I just think it was, I think it's really well written. It was Academy Award nominated screenplay and I can totally see why. The casting's great, it's funny, it's sad when it needs to be, um, but I feel like even though it's centered around this really sad situation, it's got this really kind of uplifting undercurrent to it the whole way through, which is really nice. And yeah, I just, I, I, I really enjoyed it. I, yeah, I don't think I can really add anything to that, Chris. You've just gone through everything. I mean, that's amazing. Right. Uh, no, I'm so glad you <laughs> loved it. Um, let's see if Andrew's got anything to say. Andrew, have you seen this one? I have. Yeah. Sorry to be relentlessly sunny, but it is really good. Um, <laughs> I did pick good ones for us yeah, to watch. By yeah, the way, have, yeah. If, if anybody did want me to slag something off, I'll get into sleeps in Seattle. But um, <laughs> I've got this. But no, yeah, I really like um, the Big Sick. Uh, it's got. I think it's arguably what, one of the best films that we've discussed on this podcast. I think um, if you said to me, "Give me a rom com to sit down and watch right now," like good rom com movie night. I might not go straight to the big sick, but if we're discussing wider filmmaking, because it's a bit dark, not darker, but it is a bit more somber. It's more serious. It's got way more to it than most rom-coms, including the good ones. Um, I just think it's, it's kind of a higher caliber of film. It's not to slag off a rom-com because I love them, but it almost feels like it's, it's more than a rom-com. It's, it's way beyond formula, even when that formula is done well. Um, and yeah, they're both so good. Come on, Gianni is great. Um, the Lovebirds on Netflix, I thought was underrated, partly because he is really good in it. Um, and Zoe Kazan, again, maybe I'll mention her again later if we get time, but she's been in quite a lot of rom-coms in the last few years and is great in all of them. So, yeah, just just really, really good and great supporting performances, like Chris said, yeah. Yeah. Okay, and then, you know, last-ditch attempt over to Brian. Brian, how are you on this one? 
Um, well, I feel slightly ashamed because this, this film was relatively new to me. Um, and so it came up in the preparation that we were doing for, for this podcast. I didn't know of the film. And I watched it and I thought, what an amazing film. Huh. You know, but the first, but it's, it's a film of two halves in some ways, isn't it? Because, mm. you know, the first half of the film, it was the quintessential sparkling rom-com. Great lines, strong characters, you know, brilliant. Then all of a sudden, bang, it gets serious. It injects that kind of dose of reality where, whereby it's not what you expect in a rom-com necessarily, but it shows how the characters develop and how they cope with it and how they find their way through it. Um, very, very good. I was very impressed with it. Uh, I, th- I think that it was Holly Hunter, as, as the um, stressed-out mother was brilliant, but they were all great. I mean, Zoe Kazan was excellent. Kamel Nagiani, excellent as well. Co-wrote the script, so very impressed by that. Um, it's difficult to force it. It is such a good film. I would make special mention to that, to the moment where Camille's doing, I think it's his audition for the festival he's been trying to get to for the whole film. And he just has his breakdown because he realizes how much she means to him. And I just think he's been so, not not one gear, but he's been this funny guy, you know, likable guy. And suddenly he deep, d- d- dives deep down into this serious moment. And I think he just pulls it off fantastically. And I just was like, wow, okay. This this is something really special. This film, hmm. I yeah, I think that authenticity comes through from the writing. Uh, obviously, him uh, basing this partly on him, and his performance is so layered. There's so much that he's trying to convey because there's the there's the love story, but there's also the racial issues that she brings up, um, and so many things that go on in uh, in his world that. Like uh, and like Andrew said, this film could be unpicked in so many different ways. Obviously, I brought it up into here because I feel like it's such a great, cl- great modern classic for people to find. And, and if they've not seen it, because it did go kind of under the radar a little bit. Um, I found it on Amazon just sort of by chance, and I think that it's one really, really worth um, seeking out if you've not seen it because it's absolutely terrific. It's, it's such good comedy writing as well. As I was saying earlier, writing comedy is really, really difficult. It is a two-hour film, but I'll give this one a pass because it is funny mm-hmm. all, all the way through and other than when it's getting dark. And when it's getting dark, it's getting really engrossing. So huge um, plaudits to this one. Um, we're ticking along really well with all these great films that we all love. So uh, let's let's move on to um, 2018, Crazy Rich Asians, which um, I can say straight off the bat, I didn't enjoy this the first time I watched it. Um, I actually fell asleep. Now, I don't do this in anything. I, 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 if I Any film, I won't fall asleep in. But this one, for some reason, it just got me on a night. And I, I got about halfway through and I just fell asleep and I didn't care. I never think I don't care what's going to happen. But I will rectify that very quickly by saying I rewatched it for this podcast. And the bit that I fell asleep at was just before it got good. And I watched it again. And I was like, oh, actually, there's a there's a good bit. And it, it sort of turns it around and it, it becomes a bit more layered, a bit more interesting. There's more to this than just um, what's essentially a, a flashy wedding. Um, Brian, have you seen this one? I have seen it. And I wasn't madly keen on this, to be honest. I I have this, this measure of what I think is a great film. If I'm watching a film at home on TV, right, if I need to leave the room, right, do I pause it whilst I leave the room or do I let it run on whilst hmm. I'm out of the room getting a cup of tea or going to the toilet, right? With this one, I just let it run on. That, that to me, oh, shows that is, me that. 
You hated it. That shows you hated yeah. it. Yeah, do you I, know I, I can't do that for anything. <laughs> oh, no, no. You see, you see that's my, my test. So it found my own personal test of what mm. would be a truly great film. Because if that was a great film, a good film, I would have paused it. I would not have wanted to have missed a second of it. It's The thing with Crazy Rich Asians is that um, visually, it's a lovely looking film. It looks great. The colours are great. The location in Singapore is fantastic. I mean, you're filming Singapore. You've got to, you know, you've got to get it seriously wrong to make Singapore look naff, right? All yeah. that side of it's fine. But to me, there was just a lack of real substance. And the characters weren't that strong for me. So, you know, not good. Not good. On the list of films we've discussed, I think that is probably the, the, uh, the poorest effort, I think, okay. for me. Wow, I mean, there we, we're we're hitting low now. Okay, yeah. here we go. We're getting we're getting more layered to the to the podcast. Um, Chris, uh, so yeah, I watched this for the first time a couple of days ago, and I I did enjoy it. However, if I I have I have similar tests. For example, if I thought to myself, would I watch this film again? Probably not. If it's not the kind of film that if it's on TV, you're stopping and you're watching the film um i've seen it and i enjoyed it and i agree with brian like singapore is one of the most beautiful places on the planet so the film constantly looks fantastic and all the the weddings and the parties that they have just look ridiculously ridiculously ostentatious but it's and it's a real feast for the eyes but outside of that apart from it being a story where you and meeting the parent story stretched out to the nth degree in such intensity, I didn't really feel that much come from it that was different. Mm. But I, I did enjoy it for what it was worth, and it ticked a lot of the boxes that you'd expect a good rom-com to do, but I wasn't blown away by it. Although two ridiculously good-looking leads, again, obviously, um, um, who are charming and everything you want them to be but like i say i wasn't blown away okay and then andrew how about you i thought you're all being quite harsh actually i um, am <laughs> i really like crazy chasens um i yeah i think it's really i think it's really good but i think it's i think it's more than a meet the parents thing i think there's a there's a cultural clash there which i like there's and there's when we've spoken about class before like if any film has got that element in it is this like you know she's i mean she's she's from a single parent family who've um and then mum was so she's she's grown up in america constance who's character um and there's this kind of judgment when she goes back and judge about her mum um and it, it's just really interesting seeing that and i think the way there's the there's a, there's a in this very very rich family with henry gorman's character she's so privileged but there's a kind of unspoken tradition and like kind of um duty bound honor there you see quite a lot of like period dramas and things like that you know and you know your sympathies may be limited but you know of really really rich characters who have to behave in a certain way because they're hamstrung by their essentially their class and their social position and i think the film does deals with that and like that's the main theme of the film i think more than just like a a basic they don't the parents don't like her kind of thing um and the cast are all really good michelle yo is great aquafina's like great like comedic oh, support great. um i just think it's i think it's very enjoyable it's very heartwarming i love all the party scenes the wedding stuff i we, I think we all agree those bits are great and it's great to look at 
Um, yeah, I just think it's a good, uh, an enjoyable film. It's got a bit, a bit to it, and it's quite. It's not one of the funniest films on the list, but I do think it's still, you know, very enjoyable. Yeah, what you were saying earlier, actually, about you know, often they they lean more towards one than the other. I think this definitely leaned more towards the romance element of the genre. It was very like it's a wedding film and you know, they're traveling to a, a beautiful location and it's all kind of stunning to look at. Um, I did laugh more on the second watch, probably because I was awake for more of it. And I found Awkwafina really funny. She has uh, some terrific lines. I love the bit where she turns up, um, she drives <laughs> the guys into the party and she's got the dresses in the back. And, and you know, I thought that was just really sort of lovely. Um, but it is, it's quite, um, it felt quite sort of uh, simple. It was a very simple film. With all the dressing up, it's actually a very simple film at the bottom compared to something like The Big Sick, which is so rich and there's so much in there that you can sort of explore. This felt very easy to, to, to stick along with. Um, so, which kind of brings me on to the, the latest film, actually arguably one of the latest films that's come out. It came out um, only a couple of months ago, I think, in the UK anyway, um, which is Palm Springs. And uh, have we all seen this? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Brian, do you want to have a go at uh, the synopsis on this one? Okay, then. So Palm Springs is really um, an alternative take on Groundhog Day. Um, it's characters living the same day over and over again. But the setting here really is the day of a wedding and we've got the two leading characters. We've got Niles played by Andy Sandberg and Sarah played by Kristen Milotti, who are both trapped in the same day. And much like Groundhog Day is that they, they go through the same day over and over again. No consequences from their actions. They just wake up the next morning and it's still the 9th of November. Um an interesting premise, really, because it's taking it's taken a, a, a well-used storyline, or relatively well-used storyline, and put it into a wedding setting. Uh, I, I found it very enjoyable. Uh, some really nice performances there. Uh, Peter Gallagher plays the, uh, the father-in-law, and it is really good. There's some good lines there, but I suppose the only drawback for me for the film was that it was slightly predictable, really. Um, the scenarios don't move much away from what you would see in Groundhog Day. The only difference being is that the, the two leading characters are living the same day together. But in Groundhog Day, you have Bill Murray living the same day with Andy McDowell outside of that scenario. So it's different in that way. But I actually found it very enjoyable. Um, very well put together. Good performances. Yeah, it's good. But again, it it doesn't move away from the basic premise. It doesn't do anything different with that that idea that basic concept hmm. i i thought they did do it they managed it well like like you say we got about i think seven seconds into your synopsis and you mentioned groundhog day and i think that's going to be the same across every single review of this film is mm. well if you've seen groundhog day then you, you know what's going to kind of be there um but what they did do well is they stayed away from repeating too much and that was so important because often when we do these time loop films or stories it's like right well let's see everything again almost exactly the same but just with the character being a little bit more aware and it's like it becomes a slog because you're just watching the same you know 
seven minutes of film um, over and over again. With this, they didn't do that. It, it actually, every time they went back, it felt fresh. It was like a new new section, new scene, different things happen. They travel around they, and it was obviously balmy. A lot of it was just like, okay, right. <laughs> that's what, that's what you're doing. Great. Um, and I thought they did that managed it really well. Um, it also is an hour and a half. So obviously loved it. And it was also a film that managed to keep up, I guess, with like that, the pacing of, of what modern audiences would expect from a film. It's very quick, very fast. There's lots of sort of tongue in cheek comedy. There are lots of laugh out loud moments, which I thought were, were great. Um, Andrew, is this uh, one up there for you? Yeah, again, I really enjoyed this. Um, I'm, I think, yeah, I think you say a lot of reviews mentioned Groundhog Day, but a lot of positive reviews I've seen have also mentioned how big a difference that little change of having two people in there has made. Mm. Um, and I think in a way, I don't think you're right. It doesn't labor the point about the loop at the time loop, actually. I don't think it's that bothered with that really. I think the time loop is maybe just a way to get these two characters in a world in an existence where they're only live when it's just them and no one else. And it's this idea of them kind of falling in love under those conditions and whether it's sort of like a last person on earth thing, you know, whether you would fall in love or you just think you're falling in love because it's the only other like re- same person you've got to talk to essentially because everyone else just resets like and I think and I think it's very interesting how they do that and I think again lots of people probably found this watching it in the pandemic watching it in a lockdown repeating the same day over and over again particularly me living here just being my partner and that idea of like towards the end you know without giving too much away just it kind of dawning on 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 them that it's like maybe I don't want to break this loop actually maybe I quite like just spending every single day with you and no one else you know and that and that is kind of a a high a potential definition of love almost you know is that kind of the ultimate test of of their of the love between them I think it's actually a really sweet film very funny um great leads Andy Samberg I'm always a a big fan of I think he's one of the most likable actors and people in Hollywood I think he's just so he's just got such a nice, easy, laid-back charm to him. Um, even when his character is sort of a bit of like a party bro, like I think he's still really likeable. So, yeah, really liked it, really enjoyed it. Brilliant. I mean, yeah, I think you really touched on some great points about the film, actually, and I hadn't really thought about that, the idea about them almost being crowbarred into a, a, a place without going too fantasy where they are stuck on their own it still was based in the real world yeah it's really really cool uh chris yeah i really enjoyed it as well um i thought it was um really yeah obviously the comparisons to grand old day are inevitable but i feel like it does enough to not just be lumped into the category of grand old day ripoff i guess um Partly mainly down to the two leads. I think both uh, Christian Melotti and Andy Samberg, who I agree with Andrew, I love and think he's fantastic and funny and massive fan of Brooklyn Nine-Nine and everything else he does. So I think they those two really drive the film to be something different. Um, I, I, I also agree with Andrew in that the time it's come out in the situation we're currently all in globally, as a as a subconscious layer, I guess, to the film where 
you're you are kind of trapped in the same routine day in day out and what the film plays on really nicely at the end is almost a fear of coming out of that routine of what lies ahead of that and something i think really plays off well in the finale um but yeah just echoing what everyone else said i really i really enjoyed it for it was a really good film great performances but for me the one of the main standards how beautiful that film looks like pretty much all the way through um brilliant cinematography and those colors that pop from those vistas especially when they're lying in the pool and stuff it's just looks it's fantastic to look at as well as watch I, I think my only problem with it was that I wanted more of J.K. Simmons, but that's just true of any film. That yeah, I mean, I just yes. I could just watch him just doing nothing. that's a standard rule. Even films yeah. he's not in more J.K. Yeah. Simmons. Yeah, that's what I do put at the end of every review. Yeah. Didn't have J.K. Simmons in, so it can't be perfect. Four stars. <laughs> he, he does add a certain something, though, doesn't he? He's that type mm. of actor. He adds value, doesn't he? His entrance yeah. is brilliant. You're like, oh my god, what's happening? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He is, he is absolutely terrific. I, I I think he needed that as well, like the kind of element of threat. But it's, it's done in a way that everyone would just find so charming and brilliant, like because it's J.K. Simmons is just like, yeah, this is great. It's not even like silly. Well, it is silly, but it's, it's kind of like, wow, it's actually J.K. Simmons, so I'm going to take this seriously because he's in these scenes and I want to see what he does. He, um, yeah. yeah. He gives, great. and that last scene he has with um, Niles' character in the garden, when, yeah, I just think it's it's such a it's it's quite a silly situation, you know. Obviously, they're all in, but he gives it. J.K. Simmons gives it such like gravitas, still, and then it ends on such this hilarious note that you just like, oh my, it, it just played out so brilliantly. J.K. Simmons is fantastic in it. <laughs> and also, what he does do though, J.K. Simmons is that he's a type of actor who, even when he's not on screen, but you know he's he's around. We were touching on it just now, but I mean. You know he's around. You think, when's he coming back on? He's that type of actor because you want yeah. to see him. But, but it's just that that kind of it was more like a cameo type of role. But you want to see him. You think, oh, when's he coming back on? So he, he has that influence when he's not even on screen, and and that's a sign of a a very good actor, I think. Really, I, I agree. Um, I love we love J.K. Simmons, and if you're out there, J.K., if you are listening, um, do feel free to get in touch. We'd love to have you on. Um, but never teach us drums. Ever. Oh yeah, no, no, not for that. I, I'm still still scarred from watching that. Yeah, no. um, right, guys, I'm very conscious of the fact that I'm going to break my own cardinal rule of yeah, this is going on longer than an hour and a half. Um, so if you're still with us, guys, well done. Hope you didn't fall asleep uh, like I did during Crazy Rich Asians. Before I move on to the quiz, has anyone got a specific shout out to a rom com that I didn't pick up in the list? Yes. Um, okay, we'll go Andrew first. Um, Long Shot, which came out a couple of years ago now with Seth Rogen and Charlize Theron. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, another one, yeah. Yeah, really, really like that film. Like, it's, like I watched it at the cinema, I was like, oh, that was really, really enjoyable. I had a great film. And then I rewatched it, I was like, oh, that, that holds up. Like, I, I really enjoyed that. And every t- I've watched it multiple times now, and it, it makes me laugh every time. It's genuinely quite romantic. I think the two of them, I'm not sure who saw that coming, but the two of them are really good together. Um, and I just think it shows the versatility, particularly Charlize Theron as an actor. Um, and yeah, just I'd, really, really I'd love seeing film. her in a in a comedic role. Actually, I thought that was really really nice. Um, obviously, Seth Rogen has kind of been there, done that. Like this was quite like a middle of the road role for him, but for the pairing, like you said, it just made so much sense when you watched it. It was like, yeah, this is great. 
Absolutely. Um, okay, uh, Chris, any film that we've not mentioned that you want to think? Uh, I, I have two, but I'll be very quick. So the first one, just to go back to the kind of power that Julie Roberts has, is a film, America's Sweethearts, which is 2001. Uh, John Cusack's in it as well, and Catherine Seta-Jones. It's, it's not a great film, but it, it's a film that is dear to my heart because I've and I've watched it a few times and for some reason I just really like it and wanted to give it a mention but more recently and a, a, a film which I'll admit is probably better is Love, Simon oh, which yeah. came out in 20, yeah. 2018 I think I think that film I, I just I thought it was just so fantastically done it was really good great performances and you know I just it, it's just so like emotional but funny and you know heartfelt and just really great in how it handled everything uh, subject matter and uh, just really fantastic mm, uh yeah i'm glad you mentioned that because it was almost on my list of newer ones to, to put on there so i'm glad you, you brought that up um brian well yes going back to the late 90s i, I would go for sliding doors with gwyneth paltrow and john Hanna. um i love the way they deal with the concept of fate and probability mm. the idea the notion that fate could put us in a certain place at a certain time and to have those two storylines running parallel very cleverly put together well obviously ticks all the boxes well acted very good script but again uh, just a novel approach to the way we look upon destiny and the the fact that we can only control our destiny up to a certain point um then fate takes over and uh, which is what it kind of focuses on but uh, but a very good watch and directed by Peter Howitt. He used to be a, a sitcom actor in Bread. <laughs> there you go. Strangely. That's, yeah, that's a nice divergent there. Um, I, I was just going to give a shout out. I, I did promise I wouldn't do too much Richard Curtis stuff, but just About Time. About Time is just one of my favourite films of all time. And I think it's such a lovely rom-com. Um, it's, it's genuinely funny. It's moving. Um, it's also... Sort of inspirational if you know about how you can look at life so um but i'm not gonna rant about it too much because i do absolutely love that film um all right guys you know, the reason why you all came is the quiz obviously and as i said there's no prize and there's also no punishment so you can be happy about that uh it's not long 12 questions i'm gonna do one to each um and then if you get one wrong i'll let you i'll let you stay in you can carry on um it's absolutely fine mainly because I want to uh, vindicate my, my quiz because I've researched these questions. Um, okay, starting with Brian. Okay, question oh, number right. one. Right, also, guys, if you could please you know, close your tabs and not have Google app, that would be great because I can't see you because we're doing this remotely oh. and I've no idea if you've just you know, got Alexa <laughs> in the background or something. Um, okay, question number one. What is filmmaker Nora Ephron's most recent film, the last one that she wrote and directed? God. Um, um, oh, I'm just trying to think. Um, was would it have been? Oh, God. Oh, I can't think now. Um, so got to be a time loop on this. Is the clock ticking? Is it? Or I can I can edit out if you if you're going to take ages, but it's fine. <laughs> oh well, no, I wasn't going to take that long. No. Um, <laughs> oh God, this is this is my way of saying I can't think. I don't know. Um. No, no, I'm gonna to have to pass on this. I He's think. passing. Okay, I'm gonna open up to the floor. Does anyone else know what it is? Is it Julie and Julia? Yeah, it is. Mm. Yes. Do you know Correct. that's what I was trying to think of? 
Yeah, I'll get, I, I, I can't give you points on that, Brian, but I'll, I'll, well, I think what I might have thought of. Really? Oh, all right. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, uh, Chris, which film came out first, Pretty Woman or Four Weddings and a Funeral? Pretty Woman. And do you know the year? We said it earlier. 1990. Okay, yeah, I'll give you that one. That was a bit easier. Sorry, Brian, that was a bit easier than the one you got. Yeah, I know. Four Days and the Funeral was 94, wasn't it? It was, correct. There you go. I, see, I'll, I would have got... See, you have a point for that. That's the question you should have asked me. That's the question you should have asked me. My brain immediately said Brady Woman, but then I doubted myself immediately. I thought I might get someone on that. Um, all right, Andrew. Hmm. Uh, in Bridget Jones's diary, what job does Mark Darcy have? He's a lawyer. He's a barrister, but we'll give you yeah. that. It's fine. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll yeah. give you that. Yeah, it's fine. Okay, cool. Brian. Mm. Okay. Uh, so which actor played the character of Roy in Palm Springs? Roy. Oh, it's J.K. Simmons. It is, no, no, no. yeah. Yes, oh. yeah. Was, yeah. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. I should have <laughs> let you guess, second guess yourself. Oh, God. Oh, done. <laughs> okay. Um, Chris, what song plays over the end of 10 Things I Hate About You? Oh, God. Uh... Extra points if you sing it. <laughs> I think you take points off me. If you... uh... Is it I Want You to Want Me? It is. Well done. I do love that right. song. That's a great song. Um, Andrew, what is the name of the Tom Hanks character in You've Got Mail? Ooh. I think his first name is Joe. Yep. And his surname is... I don't know. <laughs> I don't I'll know. give you it for Joe. Yeah, that's fair okay. place. Joe Fox. Joe Fox, Fox. that's it, because the bookshop yep. is called Foxes, isn't it? And I'll give anyone else a bonus point if they know what his screen name was, because it's mentioned several times in the film. Oh. No idea. It's NY152. If you'd have got that, I'd have given you the whole quiz, to be honest. But, yeah. Well done. Um, okay, where are we at? We're at uh, Brian. Okay. In yes. Crazy Rich Asians, during the wedding scene, what unusual thing comes down the aisle? Um, God. This might have been when you went out and made tea. Yeah, it could be. This could have been when I was making the tea. Um <laughs> I don't know. Was it a motorbike? I don't know. <laughs> no, no, no idea. Um, anyone else know what it was? Water, isn't it? It was water. Yeah. So the oh, water like a river. Yeah. Um, okay, Chris. Clueless is based on which Jane Austen novel? Emma. Oh well, straight in there. Gosh. Oh, wow. Wow. Bosh. Again, yeah. shout out to my old English literature teacher who used to do those films <laughs> instead of making us read books. Were you just watching films the whole time? It's like, oh, you're going to watch Shrek today because, uh, you know, why not? Um, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Okay, uh, Andrew, in which rom-com does Kate Hudson try to get Matthew McConaughey to dump her? Oh. Um... Oh, I know this one. Yeah, I know this. I, I, uh, I, I don't, I don't. I, the only thing that's popped into my head is Foley to launch, but that's Sarah Jessica Parker, isn't it? Yeah, not that one. Yeah, I'm going to no, open up to the floor because I can hear Brian yeah. chomping at the Come bit. On, How to lose a guy in 10 days. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's it. Yeah, 
Um, okay, very good. Film. Brian, then Brian, who plays the dad, uh, Tim's dad, in the film About Time? Bill Nye. It is correct. Well done. Um, okay, Chris. Oh, I feel you've got another song one. Sorry about this. I didn't do this very well. Um, right. I feel like you might get it right, though. What song does Patrick Verona ser- serenade Cat with in 10 Things I Hate About You? I, can't, I don't know if this is the title of it. It's, You're Just Too Good To Be True. It's the next I don't know if that's, Yeah. Can't take my eyes off of you. Yeah, by Frankie, Val- Frankie Valley. I know it's... Yeah. 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 There we go. Yeah. yeah, I'll give you that. Um, and lastly, uh, Andrew, in Coming to America... Where is Akeem from? Oh, um, it's called. Oh, the second one's just come out as well. Um, yeah, I, and it, it's I, got I a Z I in this it. One. I think it's got a Z. It's got a Z in it. it. Yeah, yeah, it's got a Z in it. Z, z, z. No, I feel like I don't want to say that, say it, and then butcher it. No, I can't think. <laughs> Anyone else know what it is? No. Is it Zamunda? It is Zamunda. Ah, Brian, yeah. you've actually you know, done really well on questions that weren't for you. So. Yeah. yeah, I know. Yeah. It's strange, though, isn't it? The pressure's off me. That's what pressure's it was. I don't, I don't feel under any, any pressure. That was it, yeah. guys. Well done. Um, so, I'm pretty sure, Chris, you must have been the winner. You got everything right, didn't you? Did I? Did you get, did you get everything right? I wasn't keeping track. Was anyone keeping track? <laughs> we all went. I feel like we're all winners. I feel that actually, yeah. you know, much like Bridget and her struggle against life, we're all winners, really. Um, in the yes. end, <laughs> um, thank you guys for for joining me today. I hope you've had fun talking about some rom coms. I certainly feel all warm and fuzzy inside now. Um, yeah. And apart from Crazy Rich Asians, which we sort of was okay, you know, it wasn't we didn't absolutely hate it. Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked about some incredible films tonight, including the ones that you guys mentioned at the end as well, that all of those are worth everyone seeking out. So, um, yeah, big, big thank you to you all to, for coming and for joining. And to the listeners, if you're still here, which is terrific. I'm still keeping this shorter than Pretty Woman, don't worry. Um, and obviously, it's a podcast. We love having you here, but please do share and follow and, and all those things. It really helps us reach more and more people. Um, and uh, I'll let the guys all say goodbye. So, Brian, time to say goodbye. Yeah, have a good one, everyone. Take care. <laughs> Chris? Cheerio. <laughs> and Andrew. Bye. And I've been Chris Olsen for the UK Film Review Podcast. We'll see you again soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.